Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast and of CoveyClub.com. And I am really excited today. I have somebody really unusual for you because we don't usually talk about sex, but we're going to today. Isn't that fun? And this is Dr. Candice Nicole, who's an award-winning psychologist, sexologist, and professor at the University of Kentucky, where she studies sexual wellness and liberation. She hosts the Fuck the System, a Sexual Liberation podcast. And she also can be found on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter with her name and with the title of the podcast. And what I'm really excited about is she reinvented herself into the sex researcher, sexual psychology area after going through her own reproductive trauma. And um, she has a lot to say about what's going on with us and how we can approach this second half of our lives, maybe in a different way with a different attitude than we had towards sex in our 20s. And what I love also is that she understands the different generations because she's talking to our our older adult children and she's also talking to us. So she's got a good um, view on both of us and how things are changing. So I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. And here is Dr. Nicole. So welcome, Dr. Candace. So wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here with you. And I have to tell you, I know very little about you, except you host the Fuck the System, a sexual liberation podcast. I'm like, <laughs> I got to talk to this woman. And then when I see you with those fabulous red glasses, I'm like, this is my girlfriend. I can Yes. <laughs> So we want to talk about personal reinvention. Um, and you said that you reinvented your sexual self after reproductive trauma, mm -hmm. and especially as a sex researcher, so interesting. But let's start um, with, you know, I always like to get the history, like, where did you grow up? And what did you start out doing? Um, compared to what you do now, like when, sure. when you were a baby, did you say I'm going to do the fuck the system podcast? Probably not. <laughs> So I grew up in a small town outside of Niagara Falls called uh, Lockport, New York, and then moved to small town Virginia when I was around middle school and then graduated from high school in the suburbs of Atlanta. So I've lived up and down that eastern seaboard. But um, no, not when I was a baby, but probably earlier than most people, I was very precocious and understood myself as someone who was curious sexually. So I would be looking up in our Encyclopedia Britannica that my grandmother had, like, when am I going to get boobs? And you know, what wow. is puberty and what does that mean? And wow. then I became the kid in high school who was teaching the other kids about healthy sex. So I, I've always knew I wanted to go down that path, but I didn't think it was a viable career. And so I found psychology in, in high school and I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. That's why my family is nuts. And it was, it felt like a great fit. I taught high school for a few years because someone said that black people don't see psychologists uh -huh. and I believed it at the time. And my high school classes ended up being group therapy anyway. So I ended up just returning to the thing that I wanted to do. 
And finding that I could merge psychology and sex research and sex therapy was like, ah, I'm coming home to myself. This is exactly the way I want my career to look. How fabulous. So tell me a little bit about, so you became, you studied psychology and was it always going to be sexual psychology or? Yeah. When I went, when I went to get my PhD, I knew I wanted to study sex and psychology. And so how people enjoy sex, sexual health, what it means, all of those components. That's amazing that you knew it was sexual health as a teenager. Like mm-hmm. I think we were tittering around and, po- you know, ripping out pictures of Playboy and sticking it on the, uh, the treehouse wall of some guy we knew, you know, that was, that was our experience. There was, I mean, and that was a part of it too, right? Because uh-huh. like, you know, those VHS tapes of hidden porn in people's houses, those were a thing too. That was all part uh, of the sex ed, yeah, putting yeah. it together and being able to be a more critical consumer of it as an adult. But right. that was our, that was in there. Wow. So then, so did you, did you do clinical, um, you know, were you a psychologist for a long time? Were you a psych? Yeah, I'm a psychologist now, but okay. I, my primary work is in sex research as a professor. So okay. The the major shift for me was I started out teaching high school for a few years, thinking that, okay, I'll be the superintendent of schools, I'll become a principal, I'll do all of that, since psychology didn't seem like a viable career path. But when I followed my heart and what I knew I wanted to do at 16, it was really the perfect fit. And so what kind of sex research do you do? A little bit of everything. So anything from masturbation to sexual pleasure, how people define good sex, what intimacy is and what it can look like. Those are some of the the range of studies, even sexual pain and what we'll talk about a little bit later, how reproductive health complicates people's sexual experiences. Wow. Very interesting. So let's talk about, um, you said that you had reproductive trauma. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you want to talk about that? Was that before you got into it or was that after? It was right in the middle. So I started my doctoral program around 2010. And up until then, I'd had such a fulfilling and enjoyable sex life. And so it came so easily to me, one, because I had been curious about it for a long time and studying it, getting to know my body, but also I had been really conscientious about who I chose to partner with. And that made, that makes a difference. But when I started to have some reproductive health concerns during my graduate program, all of that shifted and there was no amount of science or research in that moment that could help my doctors understand that I was struggling sexually in a way that I had never struggled before. So I had fibroids, which for people who don't know are like growths in your uterus and in your uterine lining, and that can change the way your menstrual cycle happens. It makes it heavier, makes sex more painful. And along the way, I tried so many things. So this is over the course of years, tried so many things to mitigate the symptoms, to make it feel like it used to feel for me. And so I'm a sex researcher, I'm studying good sex, I'm learning all this information, and then I'm having this wall with my doctors where I can't communicate with them in a way that they really get me. Like, this is what's happening, but I wasn't wasn't being believed. It was like, no, just wait and see, it'll get better, and it did not. So eventually, I took what I was was learning and tried all of these um, 
homeopathic remedies, acupuncture, uh, meditation, yoga. They helped some, but they didn't really do what I needed to do. And I ended up having a really open myomectomy, which is the most invasive form of surgery. And I thought I was in the clear after that. So that was the first point where I could conceive, had my son and I was like, new mom tired, but I felt like I was coming back to my sexual self. And then in 2021, I had an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, I'm mom. not sure if people know what that is, but basically yeah, maybe explain that a yeah, bit. where the egg implants outside of the uterus. So for me, it was on my fallopian tube and then it ruptured. And I didn't even know I was pregnant. So I was in shock. Yeah. Yeah. This is what, this is one of the dangers with um, the anti-abortion people. It is. Yeah. That if you end up with an ectopic, you can die of it because they don't want to take it out. Absolutely. You know, it's not viable, but um, that can be one of the issues. So what did they do? And so I, I live in Kentucky and had it been 2022, that could have likely been the case for me, but I ended up being rushed to the emergency room. And unfortunately the emergency professionals, they didn't want to touch me at first. I'm not sure what they thought was going on, but my husband had to run me out of the house and put me into the ambulance himself. Once I got to the, to the hospital, however, I had good medical care and they were able to diagnose almost immediately that it was that I I was impregnated and it was an ectopic pregnancy. So I had an emergency surgery, but from that point on, it felt like the trauma of that impacted my sexual self once again. So I was meeting this wall of reproductive trauma and it compromising my sexual well-being. Mm. So, um, so now what kind of stuff do you, um, do you, teach and talk about your podcast. What is the podcast about? Yeah. So the podcast was really me doing the reinvention, reawakening to my sexual self and putting into place some of the things I had learned as a sex researcher in an accessible way, in a way that gets people to think about what systems of oppression are out there that kind of fuck up good sex. So, mm. so I'm thinking about the healthcare system as one that doesn't respect women's voices and our autonomy and our ability to advocate for ourselves as one of those systems that can mess it up and thinking about patriarchy and some of the ways that we adopt these gender roles, these sex roles that don't serve us so that some women have a hard time asking for what they want sexually or saying, Hey, I'm in pain, or this no longer works for me, even though it already, even though it used to work for me. And even, even systems like racism, where a part of the reason that my doctors may not have touched me or disbelieved me is because I'm a black woman and people assume that black women have higher tolerance for pain. And so all of these systems, that's kind of what I talk about in fuck the system where we think about sexual liberation really broadly defined. Like you get to define it for yourself as long as it's consensual and it's good for you and the people that are involved. But the, the systems that kind of get in the way, that's what we want. We like to unpack a little bit. And anything in particular that you've discovered um, while doing your interviews about women 40 plus, because that's really what Covey Club focuses on. Oh, yeah. Slightly older women. We run into perimenopause, menopause, 
hormones changing, you know, increased sex drive, zero mm -hmm. sex drive. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's all over the place, painful sex. What are you hearing? And, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you bring people solutions for that? Absolutely, girl. So I just hit 40 in January and oh, you're you are, look, you are so <laughs> right that I felt the boost come back. To my uh -huh. It was like clockwork. I was like, is this me doing the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing? Or is this hormones shifting? I don't mind either way, whatever it is, right. we're here for it. But my, um, but my, my guests share about sexual pain, navigating sexual confidence, especially as a woman whose body is changing once again yes. and how we, you know, how the beauty industrial complex censors, what is a beautiful body? What's a good body? And then that shows up in the bedroom with you and, you know, saying fuck it to all of those things and recognizing that you came into this world worthy and wonderful, and you're going to leave the world worthy and wonderful and allowing these systems to define you is something you get to divest from. And it's more powerful to do it for me as a woman, because there are so many of us who have bought in and thought that if we did everything right, and if we were good, and if we were nice, and if we were sweet, then we would have this ideal life. Like there would be a reward at the end of that. And then you get into your forties and fifties and sixties. And those are my favorite type of people, because that's when you get to say, ah, no, I'm going to do this my way. Right. And you find right. that doing well, it your you way stopped. works. Yeah. You stop caring that. Yes. I think that's the best. Um, you know, it is called the fuck you fifties for a reason. Yes. <laughs> and when you get to 50, you'll see, you know, you just don't care anymore about, you know what it is. It's, it's, um, I think it's timing. I think you just mm -hmm. say, Hey, you know, I don't know how much longer I have. And, um, I don't have time to fool around here. I don't have time to pretend I don't have time to worry about whether you like me or not, or I said yes. the right thing or I said the wrong thing. So screw you. I'm going to be me. You be you. You don't like me. We'll find some other pairing somewhere. I love that. You hear I, that? I do. And I live it. So uh -huh. <laughs> I hear it, I see it and I live it. And that's what I, that's what I love. That's my type of person where you give up giving other people your power. What do you, what do you hear your older women talk about very specifically? Can you give us any examples and how mm -hmm. they reinvent their sex lives over the age of 40? There are a lot of women who talk about finding what they really like for the first time. So sex is less of a performance when you cross 40. It's more of a, what brings me pleasure and now how do I best communicate what brings me pleasure to the people that I'm engaging in sex with? Because for many of them, they spent 20 to 40 pretending and focusing on somebody else's pleasure, their partner's pleasure, their husband or their wh whoever they're with, their pleasure. And then they find that there's this well of goodness already in them. And now they come back to it. So masturbation is one of those practices that people come back to with a renewed sense of like, oh, I get to discover myself again. Like my body looks different. And so the way I experience touch feels different. My breasts feel different. My hips feel different. All of these pieces are important. And one of the things that they talk about most is having the sexual confidence to communicate what they need and taking no prisoners with it. 
So if you don't feel like you're a good fit for meeting these sexual needs, then maybe this partnership doesn't need to continue. Do you find um, any women struggling with the hormonal differences going the other direction where they're losing their sex drive or it's tapering out or yes. hear anything like that? Yep. One of my first guests talked about that. So she was someone who felt like she had a typically higher than average sex drive. And as she crossed 50, so she was, she was crossing into 50. She found that her libido was lower than it had ever been. And for her, it was stunning, but something that she was coming to terms with and being content with, because once she'd had a really enjoyable sex life up until then, and she was like, this is a moment where I can take a pause and reevaluate. Maybe there are some new things that might bring me pleasure. And she had, she had enough trust in her body to know that she could recover that sexual desire and sexual pleasure. We talked about what types of lubrication were better, like so silicone-based lubrication, because there's an increase in vaginal dryness when you cross over. We talked about what type of um, stimuli, like listen to audio books that are erotic, things that turn you on and help your sense of fantasy get on board again. But for her, it was a place of contentment where she was like, you know, I've enjoyed a rewarding sex life. And this is a moment understanding that sex drives ebb and flow and hormones are one way they ebb and flow, but there are so many ways that they ebb and flow. You know, being a parent is a time point where they ebb and flow. Oh God. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> being, being a person that has to take care of your parents is a time yes. point where they ebb oh, and flow. Goodness. And a lot of times middle age, we're in that spot. Yeah. Often you're in, well, uh, yeah, you're in the sandwich, which mm -hmm. is doing both at the same time. Yes. And I remember my kids, they had an incredible ability to ring the phone. <laughs> oh, it was like <laughs> clockwork. And it didn't even matter if you were going to do something in the middle of the day, the phone rang you like it was, they had a sixth sense, it was <laughs> the weirdest, strangest, strangest thing. Could you just let it ring or did you have to no, stop you had, it? It was like, it oh my God, what's happening? Like, so, you know, mom, somebody's trying to kidnap me. Come get yes. me. Right. You, you can't not answer the damn phone. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So, <laughs> oh, it was bizarre. That was, that was the most bizarre thing. I don't know if anybody else found that their kids had the, uh, that sixth sense about them. Did it ever so, stop? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay, now good. Yeah. No, they're adults. It's like totally different. I'm probably ringing the phone on them. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, should I call Saturday night and mess them up? Um, <laughs> what other things have you heard for women, um, who are older Have you, I mean, have you heard any solutions or I oh, like absolutely. the idea of, you know, taking a break and, um, you know, considering that these are different stages of life and, and it, you know, it's really very interesting and it's, and it's kind of true too here. One of the things I used to run women's magazines and mm -hmm. all throughout my career, um, putting a sex line in the major selling area of a magazine that you could see, it's always the upper left-hand corner, right? Um, that was the big sale. And it was always oh. like, if you did Cosmo or yes. I did, um, Mary Claire, you would put a sex line up there and it would always sell, but it was always about his pleasure. It was mm -hmm. always about him. It was this and him and him and him. When I got to more magazine, which was about women 40 plus, I couldn't sell a sex line to save my life. <gasps> really? Yes. And it's the same thing with Covey club, which is content 
um, for women 40 plus. They don't care about relationship content. They don't really care about reading sex stuff. And the weird thing is, I think, you know what I think it is? I think they, we had, you know, and this was the, you know, magazine industrial complex. Mm -hmm. We overused sex as a sort of standard, these ridiculous, you know, like Cosmo would run these, you know, ridiculous lines. You mean you had to be sexual every second, every hour, every moment. Um, I think we wore women out and they got to their, you know, my readers in, uh, at Moore were in their forties and fifties. And they said, you know what? I know all that stuff and I'm tired of it. (laughs) And I want to focus on other things. Yes. And And because it becomes like the skill based pornographic perfectionism, right? It's like, that's, it's not, it's not about you. And I think I'm seeing a shift in the way magazines communicate sex now like what do you do for your pleasure as opposed to what do you do for his pleasure which is when I was growing up and reading Cosmo in my teens and early 20s it was like I'm trying to be really good at sex for somebody else yeah and (laughs) for what (laughs) yes yes no you you're told that's what those lines were they Mm -hmm. were all his mind (laughs) right yes it was all about that and then when I took over Redbook, which was supposed to be for married women, it was young married moms. Um, we did our first focus group because there was a line in that place that was always about his sexual pleasure. Something it was a it was a kind of riff on a but a tamer riff, way tamer um, on a Cosmo line. We did this focus group, and all these women came in and said, "You know, I don't like this line. It's not very liberated. We're beyond mm-hmm. this." Blah blah blah. I was like, "Oh, fabulous! Let's get rid of this line." And let's talk about you. And I think I turned it into something about, you know, seven ways to please yourself sexually yes. in bed or whatever, have him do it or whatever. So it was you, you no, did it. No, you changed it the game from. <laughs> no, no, it bombed. They were lying. No, it bombed. No, it didn't sell. Oh my God. They said they wanted it, but they, they didn't really. So mm. maybe things are finally changing. That was, you know, a different generation. Maybe it's finally changing, but they, recognized they were sick and tired of being instructed to be porn stars and yep. but they weren't ready to really go with it i guess I mean, what do you hear in your practice what do you hear so the when i work with women the generation beneath me they are so they i have so much to learn from them they're in a place where they say you know i'll have i'll let a man perform oral sex on me and then leave I'm like, wow, wow, I would have never thought about that when I was your age. It no. wouldn't have even come across my mind as an option because right. the whole narrative around it was like, you're going to leave him hanging and he's going to get blue balls. And, you know, and it's like, okay, well, he can figure that part out when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think the the women in my generation and the generation that came before me are now just now realizing that you can you can have permission to make sexual decisions that serve you and serve your well-being. I like having permission. And so one of the, one of the ways that one of the tips I often give is to do your own yes, no, maybe so list. And this list is yes. These are all the things I really enjoy sexually. Like they turn me on, they do it for me. I can do those regularly. The no is tried it once won't be going back. 
or I don't even need to try. I know it's a no for me. You know, mm-hmm. your clear, clear no's. And then your maybe souls are like, it depends on the context. Like if I'm, if I'm traveling or, you know, like whatever your maybe souls are, like there's some context related to it that make it maybe a yes or maybe a no. And for women to do that for themselves. And if you are a person that's partnered, then ask your partner to do it. And sure, you can talk about it together, but really get a grasp of, because most women, especially women over 40, were never asked what they want. No. And so now you get to ask yourself, give your permission, give yourself permission to name it for yourself, write it down, look over it, you know, see what kind of feelings around judgment or shame you have associated with them. And then do the good work with your therapist or whoever your coach is to release, release that shame so that you can enjoy the type of sex you desire and deserve. So what is your sort of perspective going forward and after COVID? Are you, did you see any changes in how we have sex or our interests or I'm just like, you know, amazed that we all survived each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Did we Uh, though? Like that to me was, (laughs) was enough. Just like I didn't kill him. That's incredible. We got this. Yeah. I think a lot of people took hit sexually during COVID because when you are enmeshed in the way that COVID required of a lot of us living in the house with folks, then the things that, you know, you could typically be like, all right, that's a little annoying, but I'm going to work. So it's fine. Or that's a little annoying, but I'm going to travel and it would work some things out. You're confronted with them regularly and didn't have anywhere to go to get a little bit of freedom, a little room to breathe. And so our sexual selves haven't actually recovered well. Uh A lot of people are still struggling in that area because they had to come to terms with what their partnerships were. So one of the things I talked about with my husband and I actually was like, what does marriage mean to us now? What do we want it to be that we get to define it for ourselves? So how do we want to make it, make it work? And I think a lot of people are now in that place. And while they're in that place of redefining they recognize that their sexual selves have to change too. Their sexual relationships have to shift a bit. So if somebody who's listening wants to think about reinventing their approach to their own sexuality going forward, where do they start? Start with the yes, no, maybe so. Just to give yourself room to lay it bare what you really want and what you really don't want. Because once you know and you have made it plain, you're better able to communicate it. The second part is to definitely examine your masturbation practice. Like, how do you treat your body as a sensual being? How do you touch yourself when you're getting out of the shower? So not masturbation just for to, to reach orgasm, but in all the things that you do where you have connection and communion with your body, do you rush to put oil or lotion on your body to wash or do you take your time with it? Do you treat yourself sensually? So that's number two. And then the third one is to give yourself permission to release all sexual shame. And that is a process that usually people undergo with a therapist of some sort, because it's embedded into the systems that we live in every day. So all of those systems I talked about in the beginning, they want women to feel shameful about their sexuality so that they can control them. And we say, fuck that. Awesome. Are there any books that you like to suggest that people read or any Mm -hmm. podcasts besides yours, which we'll talk about how they find you, but are there 
um, you know, sort of my, my listeners are very, um, you know, education oriented yes. and they'll take notes, they'll go get the book, they'll listen to the podcast, any other su suggestions of where they might look or read? Absolutely. So some of my faves are Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski. And this one was a bestseller. So many people may already have it, but return to it. It talks about your sex desire, your drive, like as responsive or spontaneous. And I think that frame helped a lot of women. And I really like, even though it, it, um, it faces a younger audience, but I think it's helpful for people who are doing like adult re-educating themselves about their sexuality, becoming clitorate by Lori Mintz. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how we have overemphasize the importance of a penis when really women need clitoral stimulation. And so she helps us think through why we have ignored the clitoris for so long and how we can become better acquainted with it so that we can have orgasmic equity. Orgasmic equity. I love that. And any other podcasts or any other, they're probably, how would you find a, a sex, um, I, I, oh yeah place to look you can you can look on psychology today and type in sex therapy or you can look at asect a-a-s-e-c-t the association american association for sexuality educators counselors and therapists they have certified sex therapists on there as well um one more po uh, podcast sex with dr jess she's really great for people who are professionals who are on the go Similarly, uh -huh. a 30 minute like podcast episode. Sometimes she does it with her romantic partner and they talk about so many great things related to sex. Great. And where can everybody find you? Where can, what's the name of the podcast? Where can they find you? Sure. You can find me at drcandisnicole.com and you can find me on YouTube at Dr. Candace Nicole, where you'll see my fuck the system podcast and my how to love a human podcast you can also find me on instagram at dr candace nicole and facebook at the same place dr dot c a n d i c e n i c o l e wonderful well thank you so much and i'm so glad you're doing this and i'm so glad we had the chance to talk and i love the name thank you Thank you all for joining us for this podcast. I hope it was helpful to you. I hope it was enjoyable. If you liked it, please give us a review and five stars on the Apple podcast uh, website. That really helps us. It helps other people find us. And please share us with other people. If you know somebody trying to go through reinvention and trying to figure it out themselves, Please let them know about us. And if you are trying to reinvent yourself, do not do it alone. I suggest highly you come over to the CoveyClub.com website, put in whatever you were, word you want into that little spyglass, and you can search for fabulous original content from the best writers around the world about any of those topics. And it can be sex, it can be reinvention, it can be whatever it is you're looking for. We do all things for Women 40 Plus at the highest level. Sort of think of it as a master's course. And then if you would really like some help and some support while you are doing your reinvention, come join the club. I'm a big joiner. I like being part of things. And if you do, you will find 
a great community of women who are willing to help each other. We are all professionals. We have all been through it all and we all have services to share. We do business with each other and we are also making great, great deep friendships at this time of life. So come join us and I hope to see you next time on the podcast. Take care. Bye.